Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. This is Reasons to be Cheerful with Ed Miliband and Jeff Lloyd. Hello. Yep, still no Jeff. Uh, he is still in Mexico, but he will be back. Um, welcome to this week's Reasons to be Cheerful. And you, some of you may have heard about Veganuary, which is the trend towards trying to be vegan in January. I'm quite sort of interested in this. I, I'm totally failing to sort of observe it because I sort of caught on late perhaps like many things uh that's true um but I'm quite excited because Joel the researcher on the podcast you you had not the vegan sausage roll which has led to big bonuses for Greg's employees but the steak bake the trouble is you're you're briefing against the steak bake aren't you uh I did indeed have a steak bake it was it was very um a lot Steaky? of gravy. No, a lot right. of gravy. Less steak, more just a kind of salty gravy mush. You're no, not, I wasn't you're, impressed. No. You're not a great advocate. And you no. are you are vegetarian, not vegan. Vegan. You're vegan. Vegan, yeah. 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 So, but, so veganuary is like just <laughs> so what to you? Veganuary, What? what? <laughs> I, I've actually, I've actually um, today just ordered the Bosch cookbook. Yeah. 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 Because I, I much to the sort of, I, I raised this with my family last night, and I must say I was greeted with a degree of sort of derision. I mean, part of the problem is if you've got a nine and a 10 year old and they don't really sort of eat any vegetables, then sort of going vegan, I think my sort of Justine is kind of quite skeptical that that's going to, that they'll be able to eat anything if they don't eat vegetables. But, but I, I was looking on the internet last night for, and I, maybe the listeners can help with this, with sort of vegan recipes for kids, um, you know, with the fact that these, you know, my kids, like they don't eat lasagna, for example, for reasons that are sort of slightly beyond me. Um, so they're kind of quite, you know, without briefing against them, you know, I love my children, they're, they're, they're not the sort of easiest eaters, I wouldn't say. I mean, I think the, 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 they eat broccoli. And like green beans are push, uh, and maybe carrots. Um, were you vegan from a ch- as a child? No, no. Uh, you, you need to get them to watch the um, Okja. It's a film about a kind of dystopia in which a 
big multinational company kind of factory farms these weird pig things and it's got these huge big pigs um i think get them to watch that and they'll and they'll they'll be converts wow but 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 then they still need to get onto the eating vegetables. You think that'll sort of necessity force majeure? Yeah, they'll yeah, just eat the vegetables. Yeah, yeah that, that's kind of motivation. Sorry, I didn't turn, <laughs> I didn't we turned this to Jeremy Paxman. <laughs> <laughs> we did a good episode on sort of flexitarianism, vegetarianism, veganism. But I, I'm just sort of declaring a kind of a strong um, interest in this, and I will keep people updated. And if you've got, please do email in if you've got good vegan recipes or vegetarian actually. Uh, recipes for children which you think they'll they'll like um and i think the stipulations are you know it can involve broccoli can't involve peanuts because my son has got peanut allergy one of my children's got peanut allergy i think it needs to be not lots of stuff mushed together but they don't seem to like things that sort of mix together which i think is a, a children's thing um and uh there's skepticism about cheese they don't like mashed potato i mean honestly it's like it's a pretty it's a difficult situation anyway uh i'm grateful any great for any advice that you've you've got now we've got a really exciting announcement which isn't about the greg's vegan steak bake uh it is about our book club it's been like a very very long uh, gestation period but the book club is finally here this thursday please do sign up to the feed we've got a brilliant first episode which is jeff talking to rana faruha uh, about her book don't be evil about how to take on uh, the tech giants you'll really want to listen to this episode we've got great people uh, coming up uh, after that michael lewis alex beard on natural born learners mariana matsukato gr- great really great authors really interesting conversation really interesting ideas uh, about how to make the world a better place and about what their books are saying and how they came to write them so please do uh, sign up you just you just on your normal podcast app you just search cheerful book club and it will be there now uh, back to um the the parent if you like reasons to be cheerful um this week we are talking about young people and young people being mobilized in the cause of social justice and campaigning and this came about because i was approached on the tube last week by two young people olamide and nico and they handed me what looked like a copy of the evening standard but it wasn't a copy of the evening standard it was a copy of the evening standard with a wraparound of their campaigning around uh, teaching people in schools about the empire about consciousness about racism about a whole range of things anyway i got into a fascinating chat with them it turned out they were from the advocacy academy which is an organization based in south london that trains young people in activism they run a fantastic course for 16 to 18 year olds teach them about campaigning grassroots organizing and direct action and helping them to launch their own campaigns and honestly it's such an inspiring conversation you're about to hear And I'm going to be talking to two young activists about their campaigns on teaching the history of empire in schools and challenging the criminalization of young people of color. And then to Amelia Viney, who's founder of the Advocacy Academy. And then we're turning to Greater Manchester and the Reclaim Project. They're supporting young people in activism in Greater Manchester with a specific focus on amplifying the voice of working class young people. And we're talking to one of their team, and a young person who they have got mobilized uh, into activism and again it's a it's a great conversation so i think you'll really enjoy it my reason to be cheerful is also about activism 
And it's about the decision by the private equity giant BlackRock, the world's biggest pension fund manager, to exit investments that present a high sustainability-related risk. And this has really been a big moment in the whole divestment campaign. This began as a pretty marginal campaign on student uh, campuses uh, to try and persuade um, colleges and universities in America to divest from fossil fuel companies. And it's been described by Bill McKibben, um, who also will feature on the Book Club uh, podcast, very leading US climate activist, as a remarkable uh, breakthrough. And in two letters on Monday of last week, the BlackRock boss, Laurie Fink, announced the evidence on climate risk is compelling investors to reassess core assumptions about modern finance, and henceforth the company would divest from coal-related businesses. And the announcement called on every company, not just any energy firms, to rethink their carbon footprints. This came after climate activists protested outside BlackRock's London offices last November, dumping ashes to signify the Amazon uh, fires, while Extinction Rebellion, the global environmental movement, described BlackRock as the world's top investor in deforestation and coal. Now, before we all get too excited, they've divested from coal, but not from fossil fuel companies, and they currently hold a 6.7% stake in ExxonMobil and 6.9% in Chevron. So the next step is to get them to divest from fossil fuel companies uh, as opposed to coal-related businesses. But it, you know, it may be, as Bill McKibben says, a baby step, but uh, it is still a step, and it shows that activism can have an impact. You're listening to Reasons to be Cheerful with Ed Miliband and Jeff Lloyd. So as I said in the introduction, I was approached by Nico and Olamade and thought it sounded like a fantastic project. And I'm delighted to say that we have with us Rochelle Meaden from the Fill in the Blanks campaign and Seema Mangal from the IC Free campaign, and they are both graduates of Advocacy Academy. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having us. It's so cool. No, it's it's so cool for me. It's great that you're um, here. Uh, So I think, Rochelle, just tell us a little bit to begin with before we get on to Fill in the Blanks about how you got involved with the Advocacy Academy, what you do there and so on, and then we'll talk about the campaign. Yeah, so I found out about Advocacy um, through Twitter, which is how I find out everything. Um, So I remember just scrolling through my timeline and seeing a photo of a Harry Potter poster at bus stop, but except this time Hermione was black and had box braids. And I could have never seen myself represented in that way. So I was like, shit, I need to find out who made this. (laughs) Um, Was that that a bus stop? Yeah, it was a photo. It was at a bus stop in Brixton, I think. Um, And it was one of um, Advocacy's campaigns by a group called Legally Black. And then I found out about Advocacy and I was like, this is something I really, really want to do because I'd been so angry about all of the injustices in my life and the world around me. But I realised that instead of just sitting there and being a bit stroppy, they were actually doing something about it. That's so brilliant. And just to explain to our listeners, you go to a school, you're in year 12. So Mm -hmm. that's like what you do in the school, normal school day. And then how much, what's the time commitment with Advocacy Academy? Lots of time. Right. (laughs) Yeah, so every um, Friday, more or less from 
September to December, I trekked from Newham, which is where my school is, um, to Brixton. And then from like five, five to 10, five to 11, um, we would have Friday night gatherings. Um, so half of them would be campaign coaching sessions where we'd work on our specific campaigns. And the other half of them would be just evenings, like just art, just criminals, where we'd look at a specific issue and dissect what it would mean if that issue, if there was actually justice for that issue. How brilliant. I, I, I want to come and be a <laughs> graduate. Uh, uh, right, Seema, tell us, how did you get involved um, and, and, and you know, in, the, in Advocacy Academy? So I didn't actually have an assembly like most people did in advocacy. Um, yeah, my politics teacher who was involved in Advocacy Academy had told me about it. She was like really adamant that I joined. She said it would be amazing. At first, I thought it was a political boot camp. Yeah. <laughs> so that's what many of us thought when we were applying. How would a political boot camp be different? What would you, were your expectations then? I was expecting us to sit down, go through the Labour Conservative oh, Manifesto, look at every single policy. And would that be something similar to what you'd maybe done at school or yeah, in my politics like more, lessons? Yeah. So more like politics lessons yeah. and less like, like what you're doing. Yeah. We are going to get to your campaigns, but but you do 400 hours of training. Give our listeners a sense of what a few of those hours will be like. Yeah. So. We will start off a Friday evening by having dinner together as a community and like listening to music in the background. And then with a just evening, we'll choose a particular issue to dissect. So I remember one of the ones we did was Just News. So we got all of the newspapers from that day. And I think it was a day after Labour had announced a manifesto. So it was a good news day. Yeah. <laughs> um, and we compared all of the different headlines and looked into what bias looks like in our media and how certain groups can be presented in a very negative light. I remember there was a really Islamophobic um, headline from one of the papers, right. I can't remember. And we had a discussion about it. And then we created our own headlines, given like a scenario. I think a scenario was like, if a queen had died, how would how would like the Guardian report it? How would a Vice video oh, report it? How would the Sun report it? Um, so we use lots of creative activities like that. It's not like we just sit around being like, that's capital. That's really not what yeah, we do. That was my childhood. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, that's great. Seema, yeah, go on to give us a bit more of a sense of. So, uh, yeah, after our just evenings, we would do a bit of campaign work where we'd regroup with our campaign members. We would look at like what we want to do in our actions. I mean, there was a lot of disagreement for sure, since especially in IC3, we had so many on what was the big action that we really wanted to put out there. So, that but, takes us absolutely to your campaign. So, tell us, Seema, about your campaign because. Uh, when Olamide approached me, uh, she talked to me about IC3. So tell us about that campaign and how it came about. Yeah, so um, IC3 is a campaign run by myself and five other black and brown students. Um, we aim to stop the criminalisation of both the black and brown community in the criminal justice system and educational education institutions. Um, in much more simpler words, we really want to put an end to racial profiling. And IC3 is the label that the police give to black black young pe young people yeah. or everyone black young people black young yeah. people when they're stopped and, stopped searched. and searched yeah and and the the ic free campaign is 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 about the criminalization of young people in the criminal justice system but also about the way schools and colleges deal with people just say something about that so yeah um ic free is a campaign that's based off of the school to prison pipeline where once a child is permanently excluded, 
They are um, they are forced into a lifestyle of gang and violence and crime, and therefore it leads to them being arrested and sent to prison. So it shows how, from a young age, schools are pushing children into these um, prison systems, and they're not offering the right fundamental support that these children do need. So it's so it's about police treatment of ethnic minority young people, but it's also about um, the school's treatment of them as well yeah and so tell us about how did because it's interesting to hear the mechanism how did you decide that was your campaign um and then what are you doing in terms of the campaign so i guess the campaign's based on our lived experiences so i remember at the age of 15 i was arrested and i had called the police i called them to um protect me against a man who has been islamophobic against me and my sister and he was also threatening us with a knife i in mean the street or oh no no in the corridor of the apartments right the and you were arrested ar- yeah the police arrived and they put me in metal cuffs my sister in metal cuffs um my oh sister my had fainted and they didn't care for her well-being instead they dragged her across the floor till she stood up and they put us in police vans awful. like till this very day i <laughs> like from we were in the cells from around 9 p.m. till 4 in the morning and I can still remember like the blue thin mattresses and the blankets like I felt dehumanized I felt like my dignity had been stripped from me so what happened afterwards so I attended school the next day and my head of year only cared enough to ask whether or not I had committed the crime that I was arrested for obviously the police didn't ever do anything Mm. after that no no they just lined us up and told the guy to point fingers at who he should who the police should arrest and then, and then what happened? What, what actually happened with the case? They obviously didn't take a case against you. No, they said it was a two-sided story. <laughs> oh, my God. So imagine putting a 15-year-old in a position where yeah, they had to sit in a holding cell in a dark room and feel like, you know, completely dehumanised. Of course. It's, it's really sad. It really hurts a person and it really changes a person. It affects them mentally and physically. Of course. So that came very much from your personal experience, the IC Free mm-hmm. campaign. And then how do you go about sort of undertaking the campaign and what does it involve in advocacy? So um, ICV isn't just a campaign based on my experiences or like the other members' experiences. Yeah. So like Alex, who was coerced into a strip search at the age of 15, or Esther, who was stopped and searched on her way to basketball practice. I mean, it's more about the unheard voices of the black and brown community, like who are, who are not being, who are basically, yeah. you know, like who have faced such hardships in these institutions so i mean we've carried out two actions um in december what were they so our first action is where we had made big metropolitan police posters where we put young black and brown kids in mugshots holding a placard that said the words like threat suspect aggressive and on top there were like quotes like black people were three times more likely to be tasered yeah. Okay. Well, that's that's that, that's good. One good action. What was the what was the other thing you did? Um, the second action was outside of Brixton Station, where we had created an isolation unit to show the treatment of students in isolation by teachers, and we ha- we had six tables and chairs and six students within the isolation unit, one of whom was sharing all the powerful stories that each IC free member had experienced or friends and relatives who have had negative experiences with these institutions. Rochelle, tell us um, 
about your campaign because this the uh nico sort of yeah. as i was about to get on the tube <laughs> literally about to get on the train nico said mr Miliband, i've got something i want to show you uh, and i and i and i and the doors were about to close and i took the paper and then i thought well should I? And I thought well i'm not going to walk onto the tube so i then had the conversation and it it was a copy of a paper that looked like the evening standard but it had a difference so tell us about that yeah so i think you picked up a copy of the new standard yeah um which is part of a wider campaign that we pulled off on that day where we distributed in total, I think, 5,000 papers, metros, not metros, um, and new standards claiming that Boris had backed colonial education um, being mandatory. But what you saw was the very end of our action because this whole campaign started six months ago, way back at the first um, Advocacy Academy residential, where me and six other black and brown students knew we were angry about this issue. So this is like about learning about yeah. empire, the history of empire, mm-hmm. Britain's role, yeah. all of that stuff. We did a podcast episode about it in the summer. It was our favourite yeah, episode of last year because it, you know, it opened my eyes, to be honest. Yeah. Um, so we decided that we were going to make these headlines and distribute all these papers. Um, and we had to collect 5,000 metros and evening standards over, I think, like six or seven weeks. And I think we really did not understand how big of a number 5,000 is. We started off like carrying them in our hands and then it became bags for life. And then you have one evening when my dad drove like halfway across London with a boot full of newspapers. Well done, your dad. (laughs) Yeah. What's your dad's name? David. David, shout out to David. (laughs) Uh, uh, um, Yeah, so and then you put a front page and a back page. Go on. Yeah, so um, we had to write, I think, eight pages of copy in total. So the front page story and then supplementary stories and then reading lists. Um, and then we managed to get an amazing um, graphic designer called Matt Bonner to help us. And then after we printed them all out, we turned the Advocacy Academy campus into a production line. So for two straight nights, we stapled and folded and bundled like 5,000 newspapers. How brilliant. And then you handed them out. And we should say the campaign is called Fill in the Blanks. Yeah. What What has what been the reaction to your action? I think the reaction has been really positive. And me and Iman, one of the other co-founders, were talking about this yesterday. We were like, I'm surprised anyone, like, we really didn't think people were going to care. But lots of people have had really positive re- reactions to it. My mum sent it to all my aunties because she's embarrassing. Um, <laughs> and some of my aunties came back saying, oh, this is so good. But they made the assumption that it was already on the curriculum and that all children had to learn about empire anyway. And let's go to that sp- sort of specific issue as well as about the action. I mean... How does this sort of fit in with your experience? Yeah, so my history lessons were a bit of a car crash. Right. <laughs> yeah, so I made the choice not to take GCSE history, not because I wasn't good at it. Like, don't get me wrong, my essays on suffragettes and I were banging. I'm sure. <laughs> but because I knew I would never see myself represented in any sort of meaningful way, I didn't see the point in pursuing a subject where people who look like me weren't even deemed worthy enough to be on the curriculum. And when you have less black kids taking GCSE history and A-level history and then going to university to take history, you end up with a situation where 96.1% of UK historians are white. And also there's, I think, the way that I was taught empire specifically um, left me feeling really disempowered. Were you taught it? I was, I was taught empire. I think we had a unit in a very small unit in year nine about empire but it was like three lessons right. and i remember being taught the transatlantic slave um trade like very distinctly 
my teacher began the lesson by saying that slavery has nothing to do with race. And then I remember by the end of the lesson um, being led to believe that Africa actually benefited from the slave trade just as much as the Americas because Africans received guns in exchange for slaves. Um, and I remember being so speechless. Like, I, I, I couldn't form a sentence. I remember opening my mouth in protest. My mouth just went dry because I knew in my gut and I knew in my head what she was telling me was wrong, but I didn't have the language to express it. And that's why um, the campaign is so important to me because I don't want another black or brown child to feel that powerless ever again. And and what is the what comes next for fill in the blanks? And then I want to hear what comes next for IC Free. Yeah, so right now we're really trying to um, engage with teachers and policymakers. We have a meeting set up with Nick Gibb, um, who is Minister for School Standards. And we're excited for a meeting and we're willing to work with anyone who's willing to speak with us. We want this to be a policy that the Conservatives are proud of in the same way that they're proud of um, the fact that gay marriage was legalised yes, during, yes. during their tenure. And so what's next, Seema, for... Um, IC Free? IC Free. Yeah. So um, currently many of us are in full-time education. So we'll be sitting our A-level exams, stressed, worried. Um but we have something big planned. Um, we, we'll take these six months to regroup, decide on what we want to do. If I tell you, I might have to kill you. Right, okay, fair <laughs> enough. You're keeping it under wraps. You're, keep, you're, you're keeping it under wraps. So, Rochelle, tell us mm-hmm. sort of, you've told us about the campaigns. You've told yeah. us how you got into the Advocacy Academy. How, how, what's the sort of learning around campaigning? What's the sort of biggest point of learning that you've taken, either to inform your campaign or more generally? I think that there's two really big things I learned um, from advocacy. In terms of the action, I learned that flexibility is really, really good. And even if you don't like flexibility, sometimes you'll have no choice because there'll be a general election. And I think the other big thing that I learned from advocacy is that anger is really good. Because <laughs> like, I think we teach young people to shy away from anger and it's not something that we should embrace. That advocacy, so much of what we do is grounded in anger. Like, not like rage, like the type that makes you yeah. more like punchable, yeah. but like cold anger. Like, because I think that cold anger is just the fuel for every movement for justice because that feeling in your gut that something's wrong, but you need to, be some- you need to do something about it. Seema. Yeah, so um, what I've taken from advocacy is there's a lot of unlearning the world needs to do. And by unlearning, I mean questioning societal traditional views in which we are told that, you know, this is how we're meant to grow up and this is how we're meant to be. I mean, in addition to this, like, hope is not really a strategy. Um, Many of us hope for the best. We hope that things will change. But if you don't take action into your own hands and if you don't do the research and if you don't work for change, it will never happen. Brilliant. God, I'm voting for you. Uh, <laughs> both of you. Um, uh, we've got this thing on the podcast. Um, Jeff's obviously not here, but um, we call the Jeffocracy, which is the sort of, uh, I don't think we really approve of this idea. And in fact, maybe <laughs> the, the, the coup against this can now be sort of officially declared now, which is it's this idea of Jeff as a sort of benign ruler. But let, let's, let's say that he gave you complete free reign um, in the Jeffocracy. What would you do? Okay, I think that I would want to be the Secretary for Education. Yeah. 
And boy, the things I would do. <laughs> I think there's two big things yeah. I would do um, in my first day in office. The first one would be to mandate the teaching of colonial history. Because yeah. I think it's important that we have an honest curriculum that encourages children to be critical. Because if mm-hmm. we're not encouraging children to be critical, then why are we teaching them history? Um, and I'd make sure that this applies not just to schools that have to follow the national curriculum, also to academies, independent schools and free schools so that it applies to everyone. And the other thing would be I would really sit down and examine the pedagogical um, methods being used in the classroom because one of the things about advocacy that makes us so different is the fact that we learn free simulations and games and arts and crafts, much to my dread, (laughs) Um, and also discussions. And I think it's important that when we're teaching something as sensitive as Empire that we realise that not everyone can tolerate death by PowerPoint and having to stare at a textbook and that when we're teaching something we're so foundational to our understanding of how brain is today we do it in the right way great Seema um so yeah in my first day of office I would fund more into schools especially secondary schools where um children are being permanently excluded so only one percent of permanently excluded children are actually attaining five good GCSEs so I would um fund more into schools so that schools could have at least 10 counsellors to the one police officer that they have in order to provide for children who need the mental health support because if society is failing children why should schools too brilliant uh honestly both of you it's incredibly you know it's lots of people maybe feeling a little bit depressed partly because it's january and partly for other reasons <laughs> uh, as well but it's honestly incredibly inspiring uh, to meet you both rochelle meaden and Seema mangal thank you so much for joining us thanks thank for you. having us <laughs> Now, listening to all that, and she did offer to leave the room, uh, but, but it was tur- the offer was turned down, is Amelia Viney, who's the founder of the Advocacy Academy. I am. Feeling very proud. I am very proud. <laughs> I'm very proud of them. They did beautifully. Uh, um, tell us your story about the Advocacy Academy. You set it up. Um, what's, what, how, how did it come about? How did it come about? You know... The Academy is a continuation of what has been quite a a beautiful history of youth activism, but not so much in this country, if we're being real. Um, The Academy is, at its heart, a a social justice youth movement. It's an activist training program for young people who have the lived experience of the issues they're trying to fight. And, And we're serious about making sure that they can win those battles. But much of what we're founded off is is the American Civil Rights Movement. In the 1960s, the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, which is quite a, a mouthful, SNCC, they built this very agitational youth movement that it was a 1960s Civil Rights Act that was basically because of the sit-ins that they led that they managed to get the 1965 Voting Rights Act. And these kids, they were 18, 19 years old. They were sitting in lunch counters. And what was so interesting about those movements is they weren't 25, they were 18, 19. But what was even more exciting is that they were founded on a platform of political education. The Freedom Schools, Mississippi Freedom School in particular, are these incredible educational programs for kids that didn't have a very good academic upbringing that that taught them the truth about how to be critical and exactly what Seema was talking about, how to unlearn what society had taught them so that they could change it. So we are bringing much of that learning. And the Highlander School that trained Rosa Parks is the same modules that we're teaching these kids. It's just new to this country and this generation. And tell us about your um, story, Amelia. How did you... What's your history? 
I was serving a, as a researcher in Westminster at the time that you were leader. Right. And before that, I was a lobbyist in Congress. Right. And I had really, I was an activist as a kid. I came up through activism. Uh, at a, in the United States? No, in England. I was. I came up in activism in Kingston. Right. But it, there's this interesting thing of of being, I was I was in Kingston in the 2000s, and, and it was not an intersectional time for activism, right? We were doing fair trade work and Darfur work. It was it was important. But the truth is that my my understanding of power at the time, at the time in particular was 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 big p power it was the power of going into westminster and, and congress and i did it and i really thought this is where i'm going to make change i'm going to go and i'm going to make serious change and you know what it was like Me too, you yeah. were there uh, uh. it was a really difficult time the the reality of of being in in westminster in 2012 is that most people look like us and it is and i'm a woman so you know that's yeah. a positive but the reality is i lived in stockwell and i had been a youth worker for a long time uh and i'd been building programs with experiential pedagogy for a long time. And I thought, wow, the people with lived experience of these issues are not anywhere near the decision-making power. They're just, they're, they can see Westminster from their schools, but they've never been there in any meaningful way except for to look at Westminster Hall. And that's terrifying. The people who understand the implications of, of the policies that we're making are nowhere near those rooms. And I thought, okay, we have an issue in this country where we have incredible youth workers who across 10 years have been depoliticized. And then on the other side, we have these activists who have no idea how to work with kids. None. They have no idea how to safeguard kids doing direct action. And more than that, kids with lived experience, they don't know how to support them because when you tap into the, the pain of doing this work, you need support. So we thought, okay, I can sit in the middle of this. I can make a program that is pedagogically beautiful and engages young people who don't have academic backgrounds. And then I also can really win, right? That's the one thing that it teaches you. You go into Westminster, you know how power really works, barefaced, not how it pretends to. So the program was designed to bring the worlds of youth work and activism together. And we're not a youth program. We're not a youth club. We're an activist movement that works with young people because they are the right age to bring the hope necessary, but also the... Uh, the real chops for it. They have pretty high risk tolerance, young people, um, to change the world. And you've got you've been going five years or so? Yeah, it'll be six in February. And how many graduates how do you we feel it's going? We're gonna hit hundred and fifteen this February. Hundred and fifteen. Yeah. And how is it you it's about twenty a year, yeah? Yeah, that's about right. Uh and how is it going? My expectation was was non existent. I was pretty angry about what I saw in Westminster. Yeah. And there was a problem. 2010, it, it, it brought up a lot of great activism, but it was frenetic. It was not particularly well directed. It was desperate in many ways. And we weren't training people. I mean, if you want to go and be a great activist, activism is a skill. It's a muscle you have to, to train. Where do you go in this country? Where do you learn how to be a good activist? It's like there's nowhere to be. And so we wanted to create a freedom school that would do that. Has it exceeded my expectations? Yeah, it's it's transformed them. I mean, we have young people in our program who have won incredible things that... Give us some examples of your past graduates. Sure. Um, how many alumni am I allowed to shout out? I think here's a couple of examples. So let's take the CLT campaign. We had an issue of affordable housing in South London that meant that basically no kids were able to stay in the community unless they live with their parents. A lot of them were in overcrowded council homes. Those young people kept saying to us, you know, we want to build houses. And I said, surely you want more council housing. 
And these these 18-year-old kids with nothing to their name said, you seriously think I want to get up every day in order to fight for more council homes? I want to own my house. I deserve to, to own my own home. So they built this campaign for a community land trust, the first youth-led community land trust in the country. And they want a five million pound piece of land from TFL and Streatham. And they are going through the planning process. Wow. And it will have a quota of those homes for wow. under 25-year-olds from the community. Wow. That is an incredible campaign run by JP and Costa. Then we have Latin Excluded, these three young Latin American women who are totally invisible in our society. We don't talk about our Latin American community. And they knew that. So what they said is, how do we get more investment? And the interesting truth is that to get investment, you need data. You have to prove that there is an inequality. And there wasn't even data for them to use and say, like the African-American community in the States did, give us programs. We deserve them. So they have in the last two years worked with Citizens UK to get data collection for the first time from Lambeth Council as a council and from King's University as the first university. And they will use that data to prove the need for investment in Latin American kids. I mean, I can give you 15 campaigns that are currently running. And I honestly to God believe that the current conversations around exclusion and isolation are because of both IC Free and our campaign last year, who are no lost causes. They have been to speak to the Education Select Committee. They have given evidence to Southern Council. These kids are not kidding. And that is why I am so proud of the things that they've achieved. I'm incredibly persuaded. <laughs> I'm, I'm very struck. You mentioned Citizens UK. Mm-hmm. I was very struck uh, talking to Rochelle and Seema that it, it spoke to uh, after the 2015 general election. I went on this five day Citizens UK training, yep. and I was very struck that it sort of spoke to a lot of that learning. Mm-hmm. It's sort of based on this community organizing. It very idea. much is. The heart of the Advocacy Academy is a community organizing and creative campaigning model. So I was trained by the IAF in Chicago, the same people that, that yeah. trained Obama. And Arnie Graf. Who and Arnie Graf and Michael yeah. Gekin, exactly. And it completely transformed my understanding of how justice needs to be done. Mobilizing has its place, but if mobilizing could change the world, we wouldn't have student fees and we wouldn't have the war in Iraq. The reality is that a relational model that doesn't build just for one battle, that builds relationships for 50, 60, 70 years, I expect these kids to show up for each other when they are retired to fight for better social care. That is the way that change is going to happen. And it it sounds ridiculous, but the truth is that some of the most incredible transformations in our society have come through organizing, and yet it's this sort of unspoken about force that happens under undercover. And that, that needs to change. We need organizing to become mainstream. So, so you've had extraordinary success with your 115 graduates in five years, or five coming up for six years, the sort of thing I feel most of all, and I suspect our listeners will feel this too, is yes, 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 we want more of this <laughs> everywhere. Um, uh, yes, how, what, what's, what's your plan for world domination? Oh, God, that's a complicated question. <laughs> it's funny, I have a different answer every day to that question. Right. The... It's very clear that the kids are hungry for this. We only allow applications from South London. And we have this year alone had applications from every region in this country, from the Northeast, from South Africa. Uh, it's a real problem that we have chosen to be this hyperlocal youth movement authentically in our community. We have 400 people coming to graduation. Uh, there is clearly a lack of opportunity because we are filling a gap that we are not designed to fill. This cannot be... 
Another situation where a good idea that is run effectively and authentically then scales and ruins itself, right? That's what NCS did. It was a mess. The truth is... That's the National Citizen Service. Yes. And and it was a beautiful idea, right? To give kids access to meaningful programming, to give them a communal language. It was a great idea. But in doing it en masse, what happened is that it, it wasn't targeted and it wasn't bespoke. And every good youth program is targeted and bespoke. I have no right to show up to Grimsby and to tell them how they should organize their kids. I live in Stockwell. It's my community, and that's why I organize there. Right. So the way the academy is dealing with this, which is slightly unusual, is we want to be a center of excellence, a bit like the Harlem Children's Zone did. It was a pretty spectacular model. They didn't leave Harlem. They judged themselves on the efficacy of the Harlem community year on year. We want to build the power of our community. But we've, we've founded this program called Just Education, which is essentially us giving away our model. We want to say, if you are an activist or a youth worker, and you're willing to develop the other side of that skill, and you want to come down and see how we do our work, we will train you in it. And we'll send you back up so that you can take the model and then make it relevant to the kids that you're living with. Because we have 400 activists who work with us. You know who doesn't have that? Grimsby, not even Hull. They would have to bring them from London. And that's not a model I think is sustainable. So each area needs to figure out what is right for its kids. And, you know, I got to shout out to some people who are trying to do that. Beat Freaks are really working to bring the arts version of that into Birmingham and you have Reclaim in Manchester who are absolutely crushing it and there's MAP in Norfolk trying to make that work for those kids but none of those models are the same so they all come down they meet us they hang out with us they see our kids they learn from us but I have no intention of being as patronizing as we have been for many years and saying that London has the answers I have the answers for South London and it's a pleasure to do the work with the kids that I live with I know their streets they grew up in I know the schools they go to I can spot them on the bus in their school uniforms and that is how it should be. Okay. Before we end, I've got to ask you, um, if you want to apply, who's eligible, how and when do they apply by? If you know somebody who's, who might want to do it, then people want to pass on details. And if you aren't living in South London, but you want to set up this model, how do you go about sort of getting in touch and all that? This is actually the perfect day to ask that question. Applications open on the 1st of January. And so any young person who is between the ages of about 16 and 18, and that is vague because we have always got exceptions every single year. Kids who have left education but are still kind of trying to figure out their lives, young people. <laughs> yeah, right. Can I it's apply? A, hello. So, yeah. You can certainly come and teach. We'd you love to have, have an you elastic, <laughs> elastic definition of 16 to 18. If you are of that age-ish and you are angry about injustice and inequality and you want to create a more fair, just, and equal world, you have to live or go to school in South London. And yes, for those of you that try and pretend that Surrey is South London, I'm not talking to you. Right. Um, you have to have SW or SE as your postcode right. for school or for, for your house. Um, but what's crucial about this is we really do we work with kids who sit at the intersection of multiple oppressions so if you're someone that's done lots of this work then it might not be that this is the program for you the the big thing we're looking for is anger and potential so if you're the kid who's listening to this and thinking there's no way they would take me we probably are looking for you Okay. And if other people who are not in South London but are interested in the model, what do they do? They should get in touch with us. We are through your website. Through our website, through we have a lot of social media presence, mainly because young people love that. Um but for us, if they want to tweet us or Instagram us yeah. or please don't Snapchat us. I have no idea how to check my Snapchat. Yeah. But if they actually get in touch in any way, we're gonna we're gonna bring them in and we're gonna say, What is it that you can offer? What do you love? And let's figure out a way to do that together. I wanna live in the Ameliaocracy, I think. <laughs> I know you're a I know you're against the Ameliaocracy in right? principle. Uh Amelia Viney, thank you so much for joining it's us. It's a total pleasure. Thank you for having me. It's been very fun. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. 
You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Acast anbefaler. Mit navn er Anders Mogentarder. Over for mig sidder Roald Bergmann. Vi har lavet en ny podcast, der hedder Dopaminklubben. Og Dopaminklubben er en klub, hvor ADHD er fucking sjovt, og hvor det griner. Det behøver ikke at være super alvorligt. Vi skider træt af alle de der podcast og forklarer mig nederen der. Vi gør grin med vores ADHD. Mulig ADHD. Ja, vi udreder mig, fordi nogen siger, at jeg har det. Jeg ved det ikke rigtigt, det finder vi ud af. Vi har i hvert fald lavet vedmål. Ind og lyt til Dopaminklubben. Hver uge udkommer vi. Der laver vi sjov og spas med at have den her vidunderlige dopaminmangel. 
want to be represented in the correct way because if we were to do this in a classroom we'd be sent out there would be consequences for us so why is it that because they're adults in power why shouldn't they be held accountable and well yeah face consequences because of it and that's that's not just about the thing that often people talk about which is the sort of yaboo of the house of commons it's really about the language that people in politics use and and what what reaction have you had to your campaign overall it has been really positive we've had 68,724 people sign our petition so just that support as well has been amazing and it's been positive overall and where does it go next do you think we've got so many different branches of things we could go for like um getting politics into the education system monitoring and improving class diversity of election candidates and getting more working class young people's voices into policy making so there's lots of different routes we could take we just are coming together next week to kind of look at that next destination that's incredibly inspiring olivia katie tell us about the story behind reclaim and what the organization is trying to achieve yeah absolutely so um first of all the the you know we're here to end class inequality um you know, in practice, that is people not being held back by their background. Um, background should be seen as a source of strength and um, not discriminated against. So we support working class young leaders and we support their campaigns for change. And we work with organisations to be inclusive of working class talent. So um, Reclaim started in 2007. The founder, Ruth Ibegbuna, was a teacher in Mosside and she was just fed up of the rhetoric. I don't know if you know Mosside, but it's, it's you know, in Manchester, it had such a bad reputation, people would call it, um, it you know, the name Gunchester came from that and there was lots right. of things going on there. Um, but she knew differently. She knew that the young people there were eloquent, were um, bright and challenging. So she worked with 30 young leaders and she created the lead campaign, which is about um, getting young people to look at leadership um, social enterprise, community development and activism. The work started in 2007 in Mosside and it was working with um, predominantly black males because of the, the stigma, the media, that the representation that was around at the time. Um, and as we dug deeper into that and as we looked at how we worked with those young people, um, it was only a couple of years later that we really started to to see that the the problem that we were always facing was class. It was it was about working class communities. Um, so even though, say, for example, in Lee, which is predominantly white, they are still a working class community that we'll work with, but they'll face a lot of different issues than, say, an area like Mosside, which have lots of people of colour, which will face a different set of working class um, issues. I think it's so... I think we see class as... Um, you know, we we think about class when as like men in caps mining. Class isn't that what it was then. It isn't that today. Um, class can be. It, there's a few ways we you know we talk about class. You know, you, your economic capital, so your access to income and wealth and support. 
um, your social capital. So that's who you know. So who's around you, who can get you in those rooms and cultural capital. So your ability to fit in with, with the cultures around you. I think as we worked more with those communities, we realized that that was the thing that brought all those together. Working class was something that actually bridged all those, those different issues. How many young people have you managed to sort of involve in your, in your campaigns? Um, over the years we've worked with there's been hundreds and hundreds over the years and what we tend to do is we go into a school and we work with the whole of a year group but then we will have maybe 30 that we will select from an area that will then focus and create a manifesto for change from their uh, for their area so then it's kind of like they're leading their community and the other young people in the area and olivia tell us what kind of uh, response have you had from public authorities, politicians? Any one you'd single out for praise, positive response? Um, I think for me personally, Andy Burnham, he's a very good um, representation of a politician, um, person in power that's listened to a young person. So back in 2016, I think it was, I went to one of his um campaign meeting sort of things in Berry College and expressed that I think there should be more young people involved in what he's doing and particularly um, something to do with free travel for young people so they can access these kind of meetings and get involved with these political conversations. Um, and then since then, uh, the R-Pass has been introduced in Greater Manchester for 16 to 18 year olds to get free travel is it for young yeah it's free travel for young people which like looking at it's like wow people when it's not just for me to show me that my voice can make a difference but it should be an example to all people in power that if you listen to the young people then something positive will come out of it what are the other things that reclaim (laughs) is campaigning on that you'd like to highlight so we all our campaigns are youth led so it's whatever the young people come up with um we've just had a brilliant um campaign from the boys from lee which is a group of 12 and 13 year old boys that is um it's it's called talk to us and stay with us and they were campaigning on um suicide prevention for young males and they hosted a lads night in which was fantastic and they got loads loads of people from the community together and they just talked about things and talked about issues because they felt there was a you know a stigma around men at 12 and 13 yeah at 12 and 13 they hosted the whole thing the staff were literally just there to do the the little jobs handing out food doing that kind of stuff they hosted it all um, it was absolutely fantastic. And they're really passionate about toxic masculinity. Um, so they're pushing for that. We've got Full Time Face, which is a leadership programme for young female working class women who have been, you know, they've created a podcast, Smashing the Hierarchy, where they're interviewing different leaders, changers, um, and yeah, it's we've got those two running at the moment. And then the If We Did This campaign, which we are focusing on now to see where we can take this next. We've got a thing on the podcast called the Jeffocracy, which is basically the rule of a out of touch white male. So it's not it's not it doesn't really speak to this agenda, but just sort of <laughs> set that to one side and feel free to be sort of launching a coup against it. Uh, Jeff's not here. Um, if you both were ministers for whatever you liked, 
uh, yep. into the under the Jeffocracy. What's the sort of first thing you do on day one in office? I would um, encourage more young people, more just in a sense diversity across the board um, in terms of different genders, encouraging more women, racial diversity, religious diversity, just seeing a more representative body um, when it comes to talking about issues that are going to affect specifically young people's futures. And I would instantly put politics on the curriculum so that every high school had to teach politics so that young people aren't getting to voting age and just not having a relationship with it. And is it your experience, Katie, that a lot of the young people are not properly learning politics? Absolutely. Then, the, you know, the conversations I have with young people, that is, the, our, we are their entrance into it. And the majority of young people that stay with us and campaign with us, they actually take it at A level. So it's not that they're not interested. It's that they're not taught about it and they don't know it's there. Um, I myself remember getting to voting age and thinking, I don't know what I'm doing. Oh, what, what do my parents vote for? You know, rather than looking at the facts, looking at what I believed or I thought, we need to have that critical thinking discussion to take place in schools at an early age so that they can really form their own thoughts and think about what it is that they want to see. Okay, very inspiring to talk to you. Olivia Clark and Katie Cosgrave, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you very much. Well, what do I think? I think that was a sort of remarkable and inspiring uh, conversation, but mainly because of the young people that we talked to and what they are uh, doing. Um, And, you know, I think it emphasises a number of things. It emphasises... The importance of the Alexandra Casio Cortez, I don't think this is her original phrase, but you can't be what you can't see. And the notion that, you know, politics needs to look a lot more like the country. Um, and the extent to which young people think it rightly doesn't, still doesn't look like the country. Uh, I think the fact that, you know, everyone can make a difference. That it's what the community organizing course I did after the 2015 general election taught me that, you know, yes, people feel powerless, but it doesn't mean that they have no power, no, no ability to change things, uh, and to, and to, and to start to make a difference if they have the tools, uh, to do so. And then, and I guess thirdly, very strikingly about the, the advocacy academy that I think they've got a very good engagement with power. They understand sort of power and power dynamics and that you need to you know you can't just assume away those dynamics just to ask for nice things and hope they happen that you have to think what's your strategy to engage with that power and it feels to me like both organizations are really thinking that through and have got important successes and at a time when lots of people can feel hopeless i thought it was really really optimistic set of conversations reasons to be cheerful with ed Miliband and jeff lloyd well, we're in the outro and I can officially announce that the Jeffocracy is over. We, we're actually recording this episode in his house. Jeff is not here. I think that can counts as a sort of, you know, takeover of the means of communication, which is what happens in uh, military coups. Uh, and uh, this is not a military coup. Uh, it's a totally bloodless coup, but it is the uh, end of the uh, Jeffocracy. We can sort of declare it um, uh, over, uh, at least temporarily, until he sort of returns from the country. He shouldn't have gone on holiday. Uh, that's the other lesson of... 
uh, coups. And I think this week's episode illustrated why, you know, the sort of Jeffocracy of the leadership of, um, of Jeff is totally inappropriate. I'd like to thank Rochelle Meaden, Seema Mangal, Amelia Viney, Olivia Clark, and Katie Cosgrave. Emma Caution produced the podcast with backup and research from Joel Pierce and Joe Kenyon. Ed Seed produced our music. James Deacon did our idents. Gail Lofthouse is our announcer. Our artwork is not done by Emily Power, but by Henry Cull. Jeff will be back uh, next week. But in the meantime, he's been ousted. I've been installed. And these have been reasons to be cheerful. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app. You can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.